Let's read from uh, Revelation chapter 4 and 5. Revelation 4, starting in verse 1. After this I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne stood in heaven with one seated on the throne. And he who sat there had the appearance of Jasper and Carnelian, and around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. Around the throne were 24 thrones, and seated on the thrones were 24 elders, clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder, and before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was, as it were, a sea of glass, like crystal. And around the throne, on each side of the throne, are four living creatures, full of eyes in front and behind. The first living creature like a lion, the second living creature like an ox, the third living creature with the face of a man, and the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within, and day and night they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honour and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him, who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever, they cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honour and power, for you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll, written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or look into it. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold. The lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered, so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain, with seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song. Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. 
and you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Then I looked and I heard around the throne and the, and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honour and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be blessing and honour and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. Let's pray, shall we? Oh Lord, we've sung of your glory and your majesty. We've read of the great majesty of the throne in heaven surrounded by the rest of creation. Help us now as we look at these words briefly to catch a glimpse of your greatness and to be greatly encouraged by it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The book of Revelation was written to make a practical difference in the lives of Christians. According to Revelation chapter 1 verse 5, John writes to the seven churches that are in Asia. But he's writing a vision that Jesus Christ, the, the glorious risen Jesus Christ, gives to these seven churches through John. And a major theme is this theme of conquering. In fact, it would not be wrong to call Revelation the book of the conqueror. So you read the seven, or you read the letter to the seven churches in chapters um, two and three, and every single church uh, receives a promise. Um, chapter two, verse seven: "To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God." Revelation three, verse five. The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments and I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. Each of these seven letters contains this promise, the one who conquers. And this theme of conquering returns again and again. 17 times we read this theme of conquering until finally in chapter 21 verse 7, the one on the throne says to John, the one who conquers will inherit all this and I will be his God and he will be my son. And so one of the great purposes of the book of Revelation is to, is to encourage us to, to conquer, to overcome, to persevere in our core work on this earth. Now, the letter, to the, the letter to the seven churches reveals something very significant. The book of Revelation is full of uh, conflict between the forces of God and the forces of evil. But these letters show us that this, this conflict is happening here on the earth. It is happening in our local churches, in our synod, in the structures of our society. It is a conflict for the, the hearts and minds of people. It's not 
the good angels and the bad angels shooting spiritual laser guns at each other like in Star Wars. It's a conflict that's being worked out in our local churches. And the point of the letter is that um, is that Jesus is trying to encourage his people to persevere and to conquer. Those people who originally received this letter were often under extreme pressure because of their faith. Most of them had been converted to Christianity from a pagan background. They were Gentiles. Pagan religion had multitudes of gods, multitudes of temples where these gods were worshipped. And in Asia Minor at this time, Caesar worship is starting to take hold. So Pergamum is the first place in Asia Minor where there was a temple dedicated to the emperor. Uh, Jesus says to the Christians in Pergamum, I know where you live, where Satan has his throne. Just think of that. Satan's throne in Pergamum. A blending of religious and secular power. Satan, uh, Satan working through the emperor to be, to be worshipped. Already the faithful Christian Antipas has been put to death in Pergamum. In one of the other cities in Ephesus, a great temple for Domitian had been built and an eight metre high statue of the emperor was placed beside the temple. It was pretty easy for pagans. You know, Caesar was just another one of the gods. Uh, the confession is, Caesar is Lord. The Christians only had one confession, Jesus is Lord. And Christians will begin to suffer on a great scale. John writes in chapter 2, verse 10, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison. He writes in chapter 3, verse 10, the hour of trial is coming on the whole earth. John is writing the words of Jesus to the churches. And it's not hard to imagine that in some of these churches, um, moving away from the faith has started to happen. So Sardis, Sardis is virtually already dead. There are, there are a few who haven't stained their clothes, who haven't compromised their faith in Sardis. Uh, Laodicea is so repulsive to Jesus that he's about to spit them out of his mouth. So here's the urgent situation. And Revelation says, conquer, persevere, overcome. Well, it's, it's one thing to command people to overcome. It's quite another thing to equip them to do that. And that's exactly what Revelation is about. And that leads us to the great purpose of chapters 4 and 5. In, in these two chapters, God is giving his struggling people the greatest possible encouragement to persevere. He gives them a picture of reality from a heavenly perspective. And the key point is this. God's people can conquer because Christ himself has conquered. You find the key point in chapter 5, verse 5. One of the elders said to me, Weep no more, behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered. That's our key word again. 
You can call Revelation the book of the conqueror because God's people are constantly encouraged to conquer. But better, call it the book of the conqueror because the conqueror, our Lord Jesus Christ, has conquered. And so here's the basic message of chapters 4 and 5. It kind of flows out of the letter to the seven churches and introduces the rest of the book. In fact, you can see Revelation as being basically two visions, chapters 1 to 3 and then chapters 4 to the end. Uh, The book begins with this magnificent portrait of the risen, ascended Jesus Christ at the beginning of the first vision. And then we have another magnificent portrait of the risen, ascended Jesus Christ at the beginning of the second vision. So before we get to the the picture of the battle in chapter 6 to 22, we already have this vision that Jesus is the triumphant one who has conquered and will win the battle. Well, it's exciting to see a tight connection between Revelation 4 and 5 and Daniel 7. Well, it's exciting to me um, and I'm sure it's exciting to you. There are these really strong connections. Let me just run through some of the the similarities. In both Daniel 7 and Revelation 4 and 5, there is a throne in heaven and a description of one who sits on the throne. There is fire before the throne and heavenly servants surrounding the throne. There is a book and the book must be opened. And there is a messianic figure who approaches the throne and... Is, is, is given authority to reign forever and ever. The person who sees the vision, Daniel in one case, John in the other, it becomes is overwhelmed, becomes distressed and receives comfort from a heavenly figure. And in both cases, the saints, believers, are said to reign with the king forever and ever. Revelation 4 and 5 basically repeats the elements of Daniel 7, and in the same order. John is witnessing the fulfilment of the prophecy in Daniel 7. One like a son of man has come and he has taken up authority over every nation, people and tongue. What Daniel saw as prediction, John sees as fulfilled, achieved fact. Jesus Christ, the victorious one, has begun to reign. And so we're we're getting a picture of the whole universe from the perspective of heaven. The central fact is that Jesus is on the throne with the Lord God Almighty. Our Our world tells us that power is actually, you know, it's Washington or it's Beijing or, well, probably it's Hollywood. But the truth is power, God is on the throne and power uh, is, the Lord reigns. He is, he is, the Lord reigns, let the nations tremble. He sits enthroned between the cherubim, let the earth shake, says Psalm 99 verse 1. 
John sees someone, he sees in the right hand, of, he sees someone that the, the Lord God Almighty is sitting on the throne and he sees in the right hand of God a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. What is this scroll? Well, I think a, a clue to understanding what the scroll is, is where it is. It is in the right hand of God. It is in the place of all uh, power and honour and authority. God uses his right hand to rule, to set his purposes in motion, and in this right hand is a scroll. And in the book of Revelation, the rest of the book flows out of the opening of this scroll. Seven seals are opened and it's all layered, you know how it works. The rest of history flows out of the opening of the scroll. It contains what chapter 4 verse 1 says, come up here and I will show you what must take place after this. It contains God's will and purpose for history. Christ's work is done. He has lived and died and risen from the dead and ascended to the right hand of God the Father. Now the scroll contains what's going to happen between that point and the rest of history. The scroll contains what's happening now in our lives. But this scroll, which is in God's right hand, remains closed and sealed. God's purpose, unrevealed, unexecuted. God's purpose cannot be carried out. There is no one in all the universe who is worthy to open the scroll. There is no one through whom God's purposes of judgment and redemption in our day can unfold. And John weeps and weeps because there is no one who can open the scroll. Verse 5, one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. Who's this mighty one? Who is the only one in the whole universe through whom God's redemptive purposes can proceed? Who is this lion of the tribe of Judah, which reminds us of Genesis 49, where Jacob blesses his sons? Who is this this root of David, reminding us of Isaiah 11, John is invited to look at this mighty one. How, how glorious will this mighty one be? Will John be able to stand to look at him? So John looks and he sees a lamb standing as if slain. I, I'm, I'm finding it really hard to think of anything more magnificent than that. Here is the lion who is a lamb. Here is the gospel message in a single image, or maybe it's a double image, a lion who is a lamb. The Messiah, the great king, the one who will save his people. The one who, like a, son, like a son of man, approaches the throne and receives all authority is a sacrificial lamb. Why does he appear as if slain? 
because he was slain. The great saviour, the victorious one, the one who alone is worthy to unroll the rest of history is a lamb who was led to the slaughter. Why is he a lamb standing as if slain? Because he was slain, but now he is alive. In the new creation, according to the Old Testament, the lion and the lamb will lie down together. But here, in a single magnificent image, the lion and the lamb are brought together in Jesus Christ. And the lion, lamb, takes the scroll and receives the adoration of the whole universe. Jesus Christ takes the scroll. He is clothed with authority to rule and work out all of God's purposes. When did this happen? I think it's best to see this happening as Jesus ascends into heaven. Um, After his resurrection from the dead, he ascends into heaven. We thought about that yesterday. The prophecy of Daniel 7 has been fulfilled. We now see Jesus crowned with glory and honour. He receives for himself the kingdom and praise erupts. The four living creatures, the 24 elders, sing a new song. Worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. Christ was slain. To all human eyes, his ultimate defeat, he was at that very moment actually winning the victory. He was conquering, he was purchasing a people and making them a kingdom and priests to serve God and to rule the world. The lamb dies, but his death is his victory and his victory is declared with power as he rises from the dead. Not only do the four living creatures and the 24 elders sing the song, now the angels, numbering thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000, join in the chorus. Worship is swelling and and it, it fills heaven and spills out into the rest of creation. The whole universe is saturated with praise. The four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. And so chapter 5 comes to an end. Now if we were to read on in Revelation, we would come to chapter 7 and we would read of the great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Here's the outcome. The one great conqueror has conquered and the great multitude of conquerors, small sea conquerors, have conquered from every nation, tribe, people and language and they surround the throne declaring the glory of God and the Lamb. That's the prospect Well, the book of Revelation is meant to help us to persevere. 
And as we make and grow disciples, so we make and grow the throng that is surrounding the throne. As we go about the core business of our churches, as we go about the first priority of our synod, making and growing disciples for Jesus, we participate in a plan that ends like this. Our weak, imperfect churches, our weak, imperfect synod, our weak, imperfect efforts taken up through God's grace and made utterly glorious. So, brothers and sisters, let's overcome, let's let's persevere, let's be more than conquerors through God's grace in Jesus Christ. Shall we pray? Our gracious Father in heaven, thank you for your loving mercy to us. You treat us with love and honour that we do not deserve. You take our weak efforts and make them glorious. In the end, nothing that you do will fail. Thank you for the work of your Holy Spirit. He has invaded our lives, united us with Jesus Christ and made us participants in your glorious work. We thank you that we can take a small step in that work through this synod. Thank you for giving John and the Madaraman stamina. We pray that you would continue to do so. And we ask that the things we do today might be to your glory and praise. We thank you, we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.